Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. The stories of where we come from do a lot to shape our identity. Maybe you've always thought about yourself as good at sports, so you act like it. Or you're a super fan of Harry Potter and you want everybody to know. Or you know that your dad was handy, so you now understand yourself as handy. Maybe you have some of his gifts. Or maybe your mom was nurturing. Or maybe your family was really distant from one another, and that impacts you some way. Maybe you come from a long line of God followers, and so that puts a lot of courage in you to go after God with zeal, or maybe you came from a long line of God avoiders and you're wondering where your place is in the family of God. Maybe you come from an ancestry that says, hey, we overcome. We don't submit to tyranny or we defeat Nazis so everybody get out of our way. Or maybe you come from a place that says we were enslaved. Or you come from a place that says we delivered people from slavery. Or maybe you're one of the people that says, we did enslave people. Or you say, we fought and died to end slavery. You see how the way we tell the story impacts a lot about how we think about ourselves. Maybe you come from a background that says, we outlast everyone. Or, I descend from junkies. And sometimes, the more you know about your backstories, the more strengthening it can be. You know, I've been a fan of history for a long time, and the more that I see how courageous and how noble some of my personal ancestors were, the more I'm filled with desire to do those very kinds of same courageous acts. It's important in this time to know that you need to know other people's stories. I really can't understand anybody until I understand how they're understanding their place in the world. So we've been in a series on the book of Acts, which is in the story of how the church began and the challenges that it faced. We've called it, don't call it a comeback. Not only because the church endures throughout every generation, but because it begins, the whole catalyst for the story is a resurrection, which is not the same thing as a resuscitation, but we're going to talk about more of that later. When studied carefully, the book of Acts reveals something about our identity that many are likely unaware of. So I want to tell you the story of where you're from and why it supersedes every other story. And it begins in a meeting place. If you're taking notes, number one, Eden was a meeting place. The Garden of Eden was seemingly two worlds where heaven and earth somehow meet. Here they sort of belong together. It's the borderlands of heaven and earth. It's got humans in the middle reflecting God to the rest of the world. Like many cultures of history believed, it was a temple where heaven and earth are touching. And man was meant to dwell there in the presence of God, to know and serve and love him there. And I really believe this is why we can't find the Garden of Eden on earth, because it was a meeting place of both dimensions. But human desire to usurp God's kingship and do things according to their own wisdom got them exiled from that place of peace and equilibrium and meaningful fellowship. And I'm sure it felt as though heaven and earth somehow split apart. Now, these humans have to live on earth with something like the memory of heaven. Man and woman's relationship is now fractured 
And each one wants to be understood and to love, but they also desire to possess and manipulate one another and their fellow humans. And just like them, we wander in our own ways. We're living as exiles from God's presence. But thankfully, there's another chapter. God did not leave his people in exile. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through kind of a tour of the Bible with the major chunks, okay? But this next chapter is about the slaughter of the Passover lamb. During Passover, which was a Hebrew holiday, a lamb was killed to release the people from slavery to the Egyptians. And this celebration of Passover commemorates the fact that God was passing over the sins of his people when he didn't pass over the sins of those who were not his people. And then we get to this thing called Pentecost. Pentecost didn't originally refer, like some of us might think, to the day the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Rather, Pentecost was actually an agricultural festival 50 days after Passover. It was a feast commemorating the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. They would bring the first sheaves of their harvest as an offering to God, asking Him to bless the rest of their season. Now, Mount Sinai became a meeting place of God's reality and man's. Moses is given these commandments or these life rules that will keep God from removing the people from the heavenly meeting place of being near to his presence. Notice the order here. The people of God did not obey first. They were delivered and saved first. Only then were they given the law to demonstrate that obedience was never meant to earn people's salvation. Obedience was always a grateful response to a saving God. Check it out. The people of God were given the law in order to be obedient, in order to be close to the presence. It's all about bringing the people back to the presence. There should be a trigger in each one of those Israelites' mind that my obedience to the law is not what makes me right with God. It might bring me a harvest, but it's only His grace that saves me. Aren't you so glad that God made your salvation dependent on Himself and not on your perfection? And so God says to Moses, okay, you have my laws that help you be close to me. Now construct a tent where I can be right in the middle of my people. Do you know that God wants to be with you more than you want to be with him. I'm beginning to understand this a whole lot more now that I have teenagers. Okay, when, I, when my kids were little, they like wanted to be around their mom and me. And it was like so exciting. I come home and they're like all thrilled. Yay, daddy's home. Now, when I want to be around my teenagers, they're often mildly indifferent. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, dad, I got stuff, dude. I don't, I don't need to be dealing with daddy snuggles right now. And, you know, I get that. I understand. I was a teenager. But I can tell you for sure, often I'm longing to be with them more than they're longing to be with me. That's the way it's supposed to be with humans. But with God, it's the same thing. He is longing to be with us a whole lot more than we're longing to be with him. Okay, so if you're taking notes, number one, Eden was the meeting place. And number two, the tabernacle was the meeting place. The tabernacle was a tent that was set apart for God's presence to dwell so that he could be near his people. It was really just this smaller working model of old Eden. Once again, it represented the borderlands of heaven and earth. God and man could ideally dwell once again in the same space. 
Well, as years go by, the tabernacle turned into the temple. Now, Solomon's temple, man, when this was built, it was like, finally, finally, everything has been set right. Finally, God can be with man again. All the promises are coming true for the Israelites. Here is heaven and earth together with a high priest and a go-between man in the middle who is taking the presence of God and taking the hand of man and connecting them. But this time, it didn't last for very long. God's people fall in love with other things. They decide, just like before, that they know best. Initially, they tried to keep God's law, but then they become ambivalent about it, and then they def become defiant against it. And now Israel acts out the failure of Adam and Eve. Almost 500 years of telling God to get lost. He finally says, as you wish, and he exiles them again. And God describes himself during this time as, as a hurt spouse. He's been warning them and warning them. And finally, he sends in enemy nations to come in and take over and deport the people and destroy the meeting place. The destruction of the temple meant that now there is no link between heaven and earth. Now, if you're a Jew after this exile, you're, and you're reading this story in Genesis 1 through 3 about Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the garden, you're realizing this is our story. We are Adam and Eve, and God gave us this wonderful land, and then we betrayed him, and we were exiled from our own land. But check it out, check it out. God didn't leave them without a promise. You know what it's like to be waiting on a promise? I'll tell you, man, I experience this every year around fall time, around right now. When, when it begins to get a little bit colder, I, dude, I'm, I'm sorry for those who love it, but I just really dislike winter. I love it with the love of the Lord because he made it. Um, but every year I cannot wait to get to springtime. Well, luckily, I've learned over the years that spring is a sure thing. Spring is definitely coming. It's going to be a while, but spring is coming. And that was the kind of promise that these Israelites had. It was an ancient promise from places like Ezekiel 37 and 43. And rabbis and students of Hebrew scripture would wonder about it and try to predict it. And it said, one day, God's glory, his presence, would return to inhabit a new kind of temple. Now listen to how Ezekiel describes this major event. Ezekiel 37, 26 says this. It says, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Check this out. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in, is in their midst Forever. Did you hear how he, he keeps describing he is with them, not even that they are in the place where he is? God is saying, one day, I won't make a deal that is dependent on their obedience, but on my faithfulness. And then, after centuries go by, Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, is put to death for the sake of of the people. Now remember, the death and resurrection of Jesus were seen in the book of Acts time as a Passover-like event. The Passover lamb is killed, and there's a dark night, just like Passover, and an impassable Red Sea 
i.e. our sinfulness, is opened. Heaven and earth come together in Jesus' human body going into the presence of God, forever removing the sin that separated us from him. Now check it out, check it out. Just as Moses had gone up the mountain to return with the law, so Jesus ascended into heaven, and this is what Luke wants us to understand, the writer of Acts. He's now coming down again, not with a written law carved on tablets of stone, but with a dynamic power of the Holy Spirit, who alone can truly write God's law, his rule for life, on human hearts. Okay, did you get that? Now, we're ready for our verse. We're ready to start the sermon. Now we can better understand today's text from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Now this is the day commemorating Moses coming down with the law. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Number three, the believing community is the new meeting place. Those who trust in Jesus Christ are now the prophesied new and better temple. Now the Spirit fills the temple. Now they walk in two worlds at once. Now there's a place in the world where heaven and earth somehow meet again. Now the believing community stands at the borderlands of heaven and earth, humans in the middle reflecting God to the world. Finally again, man is in the place that he was meant to dwell in God's presence, knowing and serving and loving him. Now, okay, in light of that tremendous amount of time that was involved there, and more importantly, the tremendous amount of Jesus' blood spilt, our core identity ought to change regarding what God in his temple means. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, I need to tell you some things about your core identity. You are the temple of the living God, the God who saves and rescues, the God who made heaven and earth now fills you with his being, the God who could never be scared or stopped or surprised. That God now fills you as his holy Temple. Now notice quickly three things here. First, being the temple is a privilege. Would you agree? You and I are privileged to live on this side of the cross because we have permanent access to meeting with God. Man, none of the Israelites had that in Moses' time. None of the people in Solomon's time had that. But you and I have that because all the necessary sacrifices have already been made in Jesus on the cross. So check it out. You won't be kicked out. We've been given the privilege of living in a time when God deigns and delights in inhabiting us, literally living in us. Notice this also, being a temple should be part of my core identity. Your identity as the habitation place of the Holy Spirit, as a thing that is set apart for worship, should be at the core of who you think you are, whatever else you are. Whatever else you thought you were for, your entire being is for worshiping God, knowing, loving, and serving Him. You're not for keeping other people happy with all your choices 
or perspectives. You're not just for working a job. You're not just for playing a part. You're not just for somebody else or for your spouse or for your kids. It's not that you're not for them at all, but that's not the most important thing. You're important enough to leave heaven for, to endure a cross for, to rise again for, and to prepare a home in heaven for. That's good news. But this should also influence how we treat other Christians. This is why infighting and disunity in the body of Christ is so grievous to the Holy Spirit. See, no matter what I may have heard about them or other people have said about them or is said about them on whatever form of media I consume or even what they've actually done, they're the habitation place of God. And the fact is that he's fixing them up just like he's fixing us up. Just because people aren't perfect yet doesn't mean God's not working on fixing up his temple. Somebody say, God is going to fix up his whole temple. He's going to do it. Here's what the world doesn't understand right now. Now check it out. Jesus is the only one powerful enough to bring true, lasting unity to a world in exile. During the days before the Constitution was written, there were many political disagreements and perspectives about what should the country do? Should the colonies unite or should they come, you know, not come together and just kind of stay a confederation? But there was one man of whom everyone had such esteem for, who was so beloved and trusted that it was said of him that he was, quote, the man who unites all hearts. Well, of course, that was about George Washington. But let me tell you about a greater man. Jesus is the God who unites all hearts, so accept no substitutes. This is the real answer. Being united in Christ together as the temple is the starting place for true unity and empathy. Here is where we find supernatural love and forgiveness and acceptance. This is the opposite of prejudice and grudges. It is the ultimate valuing of someone because we are family. When everyone in the temple knows that they don't deserve to be in the temple, suddenly they have the most important things in common. Okay, notice this final thing. Being a meeting place means I am an access point to God for others. The new temple is an outpost. The temple is now ultra portable. Now it can go anywhere humans go. This means you and I should decide that we're going to have greater confidence that we are heaven's ambassadors. And of course that means it, rep- it matters how we represent heaven. But when I approach people that are far from God, I'm believing that they are being drawn near to the most holy place, the outpost that God has made you and I into. Now, what's awesome about this, this holy of holies, this temple, going in there doesn't kill you if you come close to it. In fact, it opens the gates of heaven wide and welcomes anyone who approaches the throne of grace with affection, the affection of a father who is satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice. When the church is gathering physically, Jesus is there, making them a missional temple. When the church is gathering online, Jesus is there making them a missional temple online. When the church is gathering in house churches, Jesus is there making them a missional temple in whatever area that is. When two or three are united in mission around the purpose of God at the office or, or at the social distancing restaurant or at the Zoom meeting, Jesus is there in every case using those little meeting place Christians to be a missional temple, inviting everyone to come back 
to the meeting place. So let me ask you, which stories are you telling yourself? Because no matter where you came from or what somebody did before you, if you've trusted Christ, you are now, congratulations, you are now the long prophesied meeting place where God wants to inhabit and invite others in. So which stories are you going to tell? Let's pray. Hey, Lord, I know that there's so many stories that aren't good or they're confusing or they're forgotten even. Lord, I pray that you would use this story of your pursuit of man, trying to create that meeting place, that that would be the heart story of every single person within the sound of my voice. God, would you reshape our identity Remind us that we are creatures of destiny and that our, our primary first and foremost identity is in you as a meeting place for others to be drawn to the God of heaven. Father, I pray that you would re-script some of the false scripts that we've had and cause us to react in gratefulness, in praise, but also in boldness and in confidence that wherever we go, there the temple of God goes as well. We thank you so much that you're going to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, peeps. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.